listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Caposa, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I am your host, Giovanna Capoza. And as always, I'm excited to have you back on the show. Are you tired of being on the treadmill of dieting hell, where tomorrow is going to be different and you're going to do it again, or the diet starts on Monday, or some version of that story? Do you find yourself taking emotional eating to the nth degree and maybe it starts to feel like it's out of control? Do you obsess about the way your body looks and how you look in your clothes? And maybe you have a constant running tape in your mind about what your next meal is going to be, where you're going to get it, and how you're going to feed yourself? Yeah, I know this one. I know it personally. I know it because it's been a struggle of mine and from time to time is still a struggle of mine. And it's one of the places I am fascinated. I believe that we live in an addicted society. Now, whether your drug of choice is actual you know, prescription medication, whether or not you're dealing with a diagnosed addiction to alcohol or drugs, or whether you're dealing with addiction to social media, you know, we can't stop picking up our phone. If you notice yourself and monitor yourself in a day, how many times do you pick up the phone? How many times do you check Facebook? You know, how many times do you check to see how many likes you have? Every time we do that, we get a dopamine hit to the brain. We get that little rush of, ah, great, that feels good. We don't realize it, but our brains are being programmed to look for those hits and to get addiction really programmed into our very cells. So our brains are being constantly transformed. We have a food industry that literally makes foods that create addiction. Yes, you heard that. We have a food industry that creates addiction. High fructose corn syrup, sugars, flowers, our food industry is not helping us. And we have emotional stuff going on. A lot of us are dealing with heavy emotional burdens and things that, you know, there's no manual on how to deal with your emotions. We didn't learn this stuff as children. And unless we take a proactive look at our life as adults, unless we get coaching around this or join personal development programs and really start to put focus on dealing with and understanding and learning our emotional landscape, we don't get this training. So then in comes the thing that is socially acceptable, which is food, right? Like you cannot sit at the corner of a room with a heroin needle in your arm and have it be socially acceptable, right? Somebody's going to probably call someone, you know, someone's going to point on or knock you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know, I think you're drinking too much. I think your drinking's out of control. Like these are things that, you know, there are programs for and there are diagnoses for, and then we have food. And as you'll learn from the interview today with my guest, Food addiction has a spectrum. You can use food sort of lightly as an addict and you can be full blown into addiction where you can't really stop yourself from eating the things that give you that hit to your brain. We'll learn on the show today what the three areas of the brain are and the three chemicals that get activated. And our guest today really, really knows her stuff. Her journey has been a long one and a successful one. 
Sandra Elia used to be on that treadmill. She was diagnosed as morbidly obese at 262 pounds at her heaviest, and she has gone through the journey through food addiction. She is now a certified food addiction counselor. She's a CTI certified wellness coach, a radio show host, and the vice chair for Toronto chapter of Canadian Obesity Network. She has completely rebuilt her life, and she knows this story. So I'm honored to have her on the show today for personal reasons. Um, I'm also honored to have her on the show today because she's been through the trenches and she really, really understands the addicted mind and the brain. And really what we're getting to here, and you'll see this by the end of our interview, is we're getting to a place where we can look at all addiction. And in particular in this interview, we're talking about food, but where we can look at the foundation for all of life and these issues being the root of self-love. And how can we learn to love ourselves more? How can we learn to develop this relationship with ourselves, with our body, with the very food that we eat that is supportive and nurturing? And again, I'm really excited to have you guys on the show. I want to hear from you in the comments after the show. So make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com. There's a comment section there. We have a Facebook group as well under the same name. And Sandra's info will be there as well. So I look forward to hearing back from you after this amazing conversation with this amazing guest. I'm so happy to welcome Sandra to the show today. Enjoy. Hey, Sandra, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to She Rises. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited for the audience to, you know, not only hear about your journey, but also to hear about how you've taken you know, what would have been and is a rough journey for many of us and sort of turned it into the gold. You've really alchemized your, your life in that way. And to really have you share not only the story, as I said, with the audience, but the outcome and, and really what's possible for people listening that are, you know, suffering around their relationship to self or relationship to food. So I would love if we could start off diving into what your story is around your body and food and how it is that you got to do what you do now. For sure. Um, I need to take everyone back about, uh, oh my goodness, it's going to be 16 years ago. <laughs> so wow. time certainly flies. Um, I was 29 years old and at that time I was classified as morbidly obese. So I weighed well over 100 pounds more than I weigh today. And I wish that I could tell you that food was my only problem and that my weight was my only problem, but it really wasn't. Um, I talk about that time as being a full-blown food addict, and my whole life was spiraling out of control, every single area. So I was in a bad marriage. You know, I had met my husband when I was 16. I was married by the time I was 20. Nobody should be getting married at 20 years old. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I was taking care of my mom herself, uh, was suffering from morbid obesity and bipolar disorder and unmedicated. And I had absolutely no boundaries with her. And I was just trying to save her. And I was going down with her. I um, was off work. So I suffered a complete mental breakdown at the age of 29. I was off work for three months. I was classified as clinically depressed. So every area of my life was completely spiraling out of control. And food was the only thing that I used for comfort, for escape. And over time, that food became the almighty drug. And so I often ate just to feel numb and obliterate 
all feelings. Um, but what ends up happening is when you try to stomp out sadness, depression, loneliness, you also stomp out the joy, the happiness, the feeling. So it was really one of the darkest, saddest, uh, rock bottom times of my life. And um, out of that, you know, I, I am grateful that I hit a rock bottom and that I hit it relatively young because at that point, it was either rebuild my life or die this way. That's really the point that I, uh, that I got to. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, this is a multi-layered issue. And really like what I heard you say is, is the food thing was sort of just, or not just, but it was the byproduct and really the end stage of so many other things that were spiraling out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I've lost over a hundred pounds and I've maintained it now. Now it took me about two years to lose it. Um, and I've maintained it now for 13 years. And so research statistics will tell you that is nearly impossible to do that. Only 3% of the population is able to lose 50 pounds and keep it off for more than five years. The only reason that I was able to have success with my weight is because I treated my eating like an addiction the diets, and I had spent thousands of dollars and many, many years going on diet after diet after diet. And you know, I am a reasonably intelligent woman, and I would sit across the table from the next diet scheme. You know, I'd be in the office listening to the diet scheme and what I was going to do and what machines they would hook me up to. And and I knew it wasn't true. Um, and I knew in my heart, this isn't going to work. But then they'd say, you're going to lose 50 pounds in six months. And I'm like, fine, how many thousands of dollars do you want? Because that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never, ever worked. And in fact, diets, restrictive eating will always keep us stuck and they will always keep us sick. And especially if you're a food addict, it'll definitely keep you in the addiction. I'm so happy that you brought up that word addiction. You know, there is a real, you know, line of evidence and and scientific backup for this now. The same way we get a dopamine hit in our brain with heroin or whatever other drug it is or alcohol, we're getting that same, those same areas of the brain that light up around food. And yet we're still not in the mainstream treating it as an addiction. We're treating it sort of like, here's the next diet fad and here's the next thing. And you know, being someone, and I've talked about this on the show before, you know, food is my drug of choice. You know, when I want to stuff something down, or even if I'm not consciously aware that I want to do that, that is, you know, where I've gone to in the past and still do now. So for people that are listening and that are maybe wondering like, God, am, like, am I a food addict or is this disordered eating that I'm dealing with? Or is it just something else? Like, how would you start to have people sort of take a real honest assessment of what's going on with themselves and their relationship with food. Definitely. And you bring up such a good point about the dopamine. Uh, And before I dive into whether you're a food addict or not, I just wanted to say, we have to understand that today food is being chemically engineered to be highly addictive. Yes. Yeah. The food industry, the sugar industry are pouring millions of dollars because you have to understand this is a billion dollar industry and they want the greatest share of your wallet. And so how do they do that? They make their products highly addictive. They have an invested interest in making sure that the population is in fact obese because somebody suffering with obesity is going to spend more money on their product than someone who's a healthy body size. So understand that our food system is actually being engineered to be addictive. So we've got that against us. Um, What we know about food is that it raises three neurotransmitters in our brain. It raises dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. Most drugs only hit you in the endorphin center. 
but food hits all three and so does alcohol. So a dopamine is that desire, chemical neurotransmitter of desire that I got to have it and I got to have it now. It's sort of that person who goes through the drive-through and they order two meals because they got to eat one in the car and then one they'll eat when they get home. Like they cannot wait to get into the food. Serotonin is more, people will tell me, you know what, I'm not so addicted to sugar. Give me my pasta, my garlic bread and a side of fries. And what they're looking for is serotonin because that is the neurotransmitter of ease and calm and relaxation that you get from carbs, but carbs turn into sugar. And then endorphins are the painkillers. So that was my, what I was always looking for, huge, huge hits of endorphins. And interestingly, now that I'm in recovery, my two biggest recovery tools are exercise and meditation, both of which give you huge hits of uh, endorphins in a natural way. So just having spoken, I, I love to spell that out for people, but how do you know if you're a food addict? And especially because we're not yet supported by the medical community. So if you go to your doctor and tell them, you know, you th- I think I'm a food addict, this is what usually happened to me. Was they They're going to laugh at you. Yeah, a little <laughs> chuckle and, oh, aren't we all? Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not so funny because it nearly took my life. So what I do for people is I refer to the DSM. So the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And there is like a seven-point test for substance dependency. But it's very interesting when you take this seven-point test and you align it to food addiction, well, 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 the similarities, nobody can deny it. So things like, do you have consequences that you do not want, that you desperately do not want, but you can't stop the eating? So are you pre-diabetic? Are you diabetic? Do you have mobility issues? Do you have depression from the way that you eat. So you know it's tied to your eating, but yet you cannot stop. Do you have a preoccupation with uh, the substance, right? So food, do you think about, for me, my favorite mental tape was, where am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? How much did I eat? Did I eat too much? Did I eat too little? Maybe I ate too much. Now I got to extra, like it was constant preoccupation. Another one is uh, persistent attempts at cutting down on your substance that are unsuccessful. That's what we call yo-yo dieting. People going on diet after diet with little or no success. And for me, this is the really heartbreaking part is when people have failed at something for so long that they desperately want, they themselves start to feel like failures. And that for me is a real, real tragedy because you haven't failed at anything. You've just been on the wrong treatment plan. And making that distinction for people can often be freeing. That's a beautiful, you, so you haven't failed, you've been on the wrong treatment plan. And that mm-hmm. so resonates because as someone who has lost a great deal of weight and then gained some of it back and then, you know, tried to lose that little bit that I gained back and the whole thing, you do, you start to feel like, what the hell? Like I have completely failed. And, it, and then it becomes this sort of globalization of I am a failure as opposed yes. to I'm on the wrong treatment plan. I'm not addressing this properly what worked before is not working right now. So, you know, what's going on there? So, you know, getting curious rather than getting judgmental. Exactly. And knowing that part of food addiction is, um, it's, a, it's progressive. So you're right. What might have worked a year ago, six months ago, uh, may not work today. Often food addicts will identify trigger foods. Trigger food is a food that once you start eating, you can't stop. So if you tear open a bag of chips, 
you know, you know the whole bag, no matter what size, <laughs> it could be the little one, it could be the family <laughs> size one, it doesn't matter. You know, you're not going to stop until it's done. Now with chips, they've been designed that way. So nobody should feel guilty about that. Or people know that, you know what, if I, if I get into that bread basket at the beginning of the meal, I know I'm, I'm off to the races, then I'm having the pasta, then I'm having the dessert, then I'm having this and that, and I won't be able to stop and it'll lead to a binge. These are what we call trigger foods. Um, whereas, you know, a typical person might have a meal, start with the bread basket and go, oh, wow, I really, I ruined my appetite. Now I can barely get through my entree. That's not a food addict. <laughs> that is somebody that's who- a really, that's a good point because when I was listening to you, I was saying, well, yeah, you know, there's been times where, you know, I react that way with foods where I'm like, you know, like whatever it is, like I can't stop. And then there's a lot of times where I'm just like, like you just said, like, oh, I just ruined my appetite. Like I had way too much bread. I cannot finish this entree you know, that sort of thing. This is before I realized I had an issue with gluten. But so I can, I can definitely see where, you know, even for myself and maybe for some people listening, it's like, well, you know, yeah, like there's been times where I definitely know, and I've caught myself, like I am totally like, I've gone into unconscious eating and now I'm conscious that I'm unconscious eating and I'm noticing myself not hungry and reaching. And then I have to stop and be like, okay, girlfriend, what is going on here? What are you avoiding? And so I wonder if we could go there and talk about when, you know, because you can kind of ebb and flow out of this addictive behavior. And it really, to me, boils down to like, what are you avoiding? Well, it's interesting. So there's definitely a spectrum with food addicts. There's early, mid, and late stage food addicts. So, or, and then in a whole different class are emotional eaters. So when we're talking about mm, yeah yeah so when we're talking about food addiction what ends up happening is you develop a chemical dependency on certain foods sugar products flour products and we start to believe that we oh it's when I'm stressed or oh it's you know maybe it's I have a feeling I don't want to feel therefore I eat um, but really it's your brain just linking up you know let's say sadness always equals eat a pint of ice cream and then you feel better whether it's momentarily or for the evening then your brain learns because some people will dance those three steps they're triggered so the trigger could be sadness loneliness stressed whatever your trigger is and then the next step is eat something and then the third step which is the consequence whether you feel numb whether you feel satisfied loved whatever it is you dance those steps, not for years, but decades, then your brain learns this neural pathway. And then you also become chemically dependent because it's a chemically engineered food. So food addiction and emotional eating are very, very separate and are usually treated differently. But understand that also you have, you could also have habit. So Addiction, any addiction touches four parts of our brain. It touches the reward center, it touches our habit center, our stress center, and then also our euphoric recall center. So you've got a lot of things at play. So when I'm working with food addicts, understand that if the only way I can eat properly is if my emotions are stable and I understand all my unmet needs and what's happening at a subconscious level with me, I'm never going to be in recovery (laughs) because I am an emotional person and my emotions will always go up and down, up and down. And if it's tied to my food, I'm in really dangerous territory. So my food has to have straight and narrow. So it's, you know, my diet, I don't even call it a diet. My meal plan is very simple. If it doesn't have sugar and it doesn't have flour, then I can eat it. Mm, Yeah. That's it. 
I mean, I'm, and I'm the same way. Like I notice when I deviate from that, I will, you know, whatever, be a week down the track or two weeks and be like, uh, yeah, I need to get back to that no sugar, no flour thing. Yeah. Cause I just realized I kind of let the ball slide, yeah. but it's interesting to me when I hear you talk. So what I'm curious about, you mentioned that addiction touches those four areas of the brain. Yes. How am I to know? So I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, God, I really resonate with what you just said, but how do I know the difference between that and I'm being an emotional eater? So there, there are a couple of things. So once you've made the decision that you're not going to have flour and sugar, right? So once, and I always say, you know, you make that with your right mind. So we have the, not to get too science on you, but we have the frontal lobe, which is responsible for reasoning, good decision-making. It's actually the last part of our brain to evolve in human history. Well, addiction actually lives in the midbrain and the midbrain is primitive. It's uh, the flight or fright center. It is automatic compulsion and and reaction center. So once you've made a decision, I'm not going to have flour and sugar, what are you left with? You're left with cravings and urges. So you mentioned, you know, you slipped off the wagon for a couple of weeks. Well, it probably started with some sort of craving or urge. And so what I try to teach my clients is that a craving is always a lie, always. And that lie sounds like, you know what, just go ahead, have some. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Tomorrow the diet will start, so have some now. Or um, you know what? You can have one cookie. It'll be different. I promise. This time you'll have one. <laughs> it's and like that little devil on your that shoulder. That little right? devil, like, hey, right? Hey, come on. <laughs> so once you identify the lie, whatever it is, you don't have to fall for it anymore. Know that anytime that voice has said to you, have the sugar, have the flour, it's always lying to you. And the next thing that I always look at after I've identified the lie is like, what's going on in my brain? Like, what is it? Is it is it the habit center? Is it that at three o'clock every day I have something sweet? So it doesn't matter what I eat for lunch and I'm satisfied and I'm not hungry. My brain knows it's three o'clock and we eat something sweet. You have to understand your brain is incredibly efficient and it will repeat behaviors that it's done for years, if not decades. Or is it the stress center? Is it that I'm feeling super anxious about something or I got some bad news and my brain goes, we know what to do. If you eat that, you won't be so stressed. And your brain is right. You won't be so stressed, right? Because you'll have eaten something that has given you a hit of serotonin, which is a natural antidepressant and will make you feel eased. Or is it euphoric recall? Suddenly you're in Italy and you're in Naples and they make that pizza from Eat, Pray, Love. You have to have it, right? You have to. There's no <laughs> I choice. I just watched that on the weekend. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, and that scene is very triggering for me. I actually can't watch that scene because my brain gets queued up and says, you know what, that looks like something you should have. So once I identify, you know, that's how I try to identify what's going on in my brain so that I can start to separate myself from that little voice that says, come on, it's your birthday. It doesn't matter today. It doesn't. The truth is it does matter because every time I start on the food, I know the path that I end up on. And I don't know if I, you know, am I going to be slipping for three hours, three days, three months? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know how much weight I can gain from this slip. It's so, such a dangerous path that I just don't want to walk down it anymore. Well, and the thing about that too, and this is where, you know, it kind of, it drives me nuts a little bit in society because it's not really well known or well accepted now that this is a thing for people Mm -hmm. is that you might be surrounded by people that are like, oh, it's just one day or it's just one thing. But it's like, if I was sitting in the corner of a room with a needle in my arm shooting up heroin, 
and I was in recovery, there's no way that I would say to someone, oh, it's just one hit, like go ahead, have it, right? (laughs) So it's the same thing in addiction. Um, 100%. I call them food pushers. Yeah. And And I've even called out family members. You're being a food pusher right now and you're not respecting my personal boundary. I said, no, thank you. And so what I teach my clients because they have family and it's tough at the beginning. I can remember a time early in my recovery, I was at, you know, this beautiful house, this beautiful Rosedale house for dinner. And it was a Christmas dinner. And, you know, I was there with partners and uh, senior people from the firm and outcomes molten lava cake, which is like my favorite hot chocolate, you know, cake. And you bite into it and the chocolate comes out. <laughs> and it, oh, it's like, And I thought, because I hadn't lost any amount of substantial weight, I thought if I tell everybody at this party I don't eat sugar, they're going to think, uh, really, lady? Because you look like you eat sugar. And, <laughs> Clearly <'cause>, you do. <laughs> right? And so I'm like, how does a woman my size tell people I don't eat sugar? I didn't have the courage to do that. Today I have the voice for it. But you know, in that moment, I always say the most sincere prayer to the universe. I always say, you know what, I'm not going to put that food in my mouth. Now I need to be carried because I can't figure this out. I know it sounds like I can make fun of it now, but in that moment I was so stressed and so panicked and so embarrassed. And the thought instantly hit my head, just go to the bathroom and pray for help. And I thought, okay, that's fair. So I excused myself. I went to the bathroom. I prayed. I called a friend and all of that, you know, that sincere prayer, take care of everything else. By the time I returned to the table, dessert was over. Everybody was up. Everybody was mingling. And I thought, wow, boy, did I just dodge a bullet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right. And that help is always available if we ask. So is that then the difference, Sandra? Because I want to go back to this whole, like, is it emotional eating or is it addiction? Like that to me sounds like it's the difference between you know, I'm having a bad day and I'm going to have some ice cream and that, that'll be the end of it. Like, it exactly. sounds like that's the difference where it's like, you know, I might be like, I'm having a bad day and I'm going to have like a bowl of ice cream, but then I'm done. Like, I'm not going into the fridge to finish the entire pint of ice cream. Exactly. That's that, the difference. That's the difference. So an emotional eater will break up with her boyfriend or girlfriend and be like, I, you know what, uh, this weekend I'm so upset. I'm going to stay in my pajamas. I'm going to order in. I'm going to eat a pint of ice cream. And then they wake up on Monday morning and go, oh, that was awful. I don't think I need to do that anytime soon again. They will do it again. <laughs> yeah. Like they're human, but they're not waking up with, oh my God, I need to do that again. Similarly to the alcoholic and uh, maybe somebody who occasionally been drinks, right? Like somebody who goes out, it's New Year's Eve. They had six drinks. The next day they're hurting and then they don't have a drink again until April. But they binge drink that night. That night they, they had way too much. They were way too drunk. They threw up. They were hungover. And then they don't want to look at alcohol for two months. That's not an alcoholic. That's Got someone it. who overindulged one night. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. Mm-hmm. So what is then, you know, the next step? So not everyone, you know, has access, let's say, to the DSM to take mm-hmm. this test. What is the next step for someone who's listening and saying, you know, I think that I have some form of disordered eating or I might have an addiction or I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe I do the emotional eating binge, but it, you know, maybe it's been happening one too many times, you know, what's the next step for someone like that who might be listening to this? 
So the great thing about giving up sugar and flour and ultra processed food is there is no downside to this, whether you're a food addict or not. Um, you know, there's so many diets out there right now. Right now, the keto diet is this huge, you know, just sort of like the Atkins was at one point, everybody's on keto. But keto, you need to be monitored. Like you need to go to the doctor, you make, make sure things aren't happening that shouldn't be happening. There is no downside to eliminating ultra processed foods. There's no health risks at all to eating whole one ingredient foods. The other thing that you can do is you can head on over to my website, Sandra Alia, so that's E-L-I-A dot com. And there, if you sign up for my newsletter, I have a video on five steps to get started right away. And I'm going to take you through those five steps super quick. The first step is smash your scale, get rid of the scale, just release yourself from the bondage of the scale. The number is not the prize anymore. And I know this is really hard for a lot of people. I always say my weight is none of my business. My business is to move my body and to eat whole foods. And wherever my weight ends up, it ends up because that number has never made me happy. So what I hear my clients often say is I'm only going to eat like this if the scale goes down. I'm only going to the gym five days a week if I see that number drop. And, so mm. be- and that's where the yo-yo starts happening, right? Because right. this is what happened to me. It's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm a clean eater pretty much anyway, but I, it was sort of like you get to these points where I studied nutrition and that's sort of the school of thought that I come from. And so, you know, you get to these places where it's like you obsess about the scale so much or you obsess mm. about how you're looking that you're like, well, this way of eating is not helping anyway, so screw it. Yes. So I'm going to go and eat all this bad stuff. (laughs) So you're like, forget it. Screw it. Like I call it the fuckets. I just get the fuckets. I'm like, screw it. I can't, you know, whatever. And then it's the toggle back and forth. So I love that you said like destroy the scale. Destroy it. My weight is none of my business is an awesome mantra. I'm going to write that on my mirror, I think. My weight is none of my business. (laughs) What the truth is we can only control our behaviors. We can never control the number on the scale. And if you want proof of that, talk to somebody who is suffering from anorexia, trying to get that number on the scale. We cannot control the scale, but we can control our behaviors. And so then the next thing I ask people to have is a shift in perception and see food as food and the rest of all that other junk as chemically engineered food-like substances that have robbed you of a life and health. Because I don't want you to live in the space of, oh, I never get to have treats and, oh, I never get to have delicious food. And I, no, no, that stuff came with a big price tag. Understand that it's not really food. I don't want anybody to live in a place of deprivation and thinking they're missing out. The truth is eating that stuff makes you miss out. That stuff has robbed you of how much? I love that perspective and point of view. I remember, you know, in my clinical practice, when I would talk to people, And I would literally say, if you just eliminate these two things, sugar and anything that turns into sugar, right? So starch, flour, and always the answer is, and to this day, I get it when I tell people, no, I'm, you know, I'm back to no, no starches and sugar. And they're like, what do you eat? As if there's only those two (laughs) things to eat. It's like people, there is so much food out there. That's so much better for you. (laughs) No, right. Right. And then the next step really important is that you take one meal at a time because I have that addictive voice that says, really? really? For the rest of your life, you're never going to have cake. You're never going to eat pizza in Italy. And my answer to that voice is right now I'm in Toronto. I'm not in Italy. And (laughs) you know what? Just for dinner, I'm not going to have sugar and flour. I don't worry about tomorrow. 
And that's all I do. I make a decision at each meal. I ask myself just for this one meal, not worrying about tomorrow, can I stay away from sugar and flour? And the answer always very comfortably is yes. And I make no promises for tomorrow. And that really quiets that voice and everyone else's voice because your whole family is going to be like, come on, you're not going to have Nona's pasta, come on. No, just, <laughs> just for this meal, just, just this one time I'm not. And then I promise you, you'll look back and you'll see that it's been years, but you take it one meal at a time. Oh, I love that concept so much because yeah. I'm the same way as you. Like I am always looking at like the all or nothing, right? It's like, what? For the rest of my life? It's like, no, just this one moment at a time. Yeah. That's all we can live, all of us. Um, and then of course, moving our bodies is really important, but we need to stop making exercise punishing. And again, go back, you know, not tying it to the scale because research now shows that exercise does not lead to weight loss. If you make the goals of exercise elevating your mood, uh, increasing your flexibility, increasing your strength, guess what? You're going to achieve those goals easily and from week to week. And when you do an activity where you're always winning, it becomes incredibly motivating. But when working out used to be, I got to go to the gym and I got to figure out these love handles and it's got to go down and I'm constantly measuring, I hated it. Like I effing hated it. Mm. But now when my, it's my natural antidepressant, I need to take my antidepressant minimum five days a week. Otherwise I'm not right. And that becomes motivating because every time I exercise, I feel like a million bucks. So I'm like, tick, my goal was achieved. And would you say, cause you, it was something interesting that came up when you said that there's this sort of relationship to food right? That is, could be a byproduct of so many things, but there's this relationship to food and then the food monitoring and the obsessing about food and all of that and, and the potential addiction or emotional eating. But then there's this other kind of side cart relationship that feeds the other, which is obsessing about how you look. Yes. And, and that leads me to the final step. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the final step is self-love and it's probably the most important step. I always um, challenge people to start an unconditional love affair with yourself. Unconditional means unchanging. So for me at 29, classified as morbidly obese, I had to accept myself the exact same way I accept myself today at a healthy body size because unconditional means unchanging. And so that meant in front of the mirror with the lumps and the bumps and the stretch marks and the cellulite, I had to pour as much love as I possibly could on my body. Why? Love is energizing and you need as much energy as you can muster to go through this journey. And hateful thoughts, self-condemnation, judgment, that will drain you of every ounce of energy. When someone tells me they lack motivation, I say, tell me what you're thinking. And usually their thoughts are so punishing. I'm like, I wouldn't get out of bed. Holy moly. <laughs> like, that's really harsh. And everybody, everybody flourishes in an environment that is gentle, kind, and encouraging. Everybody. So how I, you know, you have to set that up in your own mind. You have to set up an environment where if you have a setback, you pour love on yourself. Because for a long time, I used to think that if I just punished myself long enough, hard enough, I'll never do it again. And the opposite was true. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I put it last, but it's really the most important self-love, self-acceptance, unchanging, not when you get the job, not when you get the guy, not when you get the girl, not when you get the house, none of that. No, no, not no. when you lose the weight, but not no. when you lose the weight, it's like today, today. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah and that does feel like you're right. Like you put it last, but it could might as well be first even because really if you do that step well and you sort of, you know, be tenacious with that one step, then the other ones will fall into line. Exactly. And, you know, we have this backwards way of thinking that like, if I'm, you know, hard on myself, I'll get it done. Like we're some mm-hmm. kind of drill sergeant in our mind. But I, I wrote an article a few years ago, like you can't hate yourself into loving yourself, right? Yeah. Like you can't, <laughs> That's you can't a great hate title. yourself. Yeah. You can't hate yourself into losing weight. You can't hate no. yourself into having a healthy relationship with you because ultimately you got to, you know, warts and all, right? You have to learn to love yourself. And I think that is at the core of all of addiction, whether it's to food or anything else, like that is the core. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Well, Sandra, I've loved having you on. I just, I feel like there's so many other places and directions that I'd love to go to, but we'd end up being here another probably 45 minutes to an hour. But I wonder, is there, is there one or even two last things that you would love to leave the listeners with that obviously they're going to put your website for those of you listening, we're going to put Sandra's website in our show notes. So you'll be able to find it there on sherisespodcast.com and you know, you'll get resources from her, but are there one or maybe even two more things that you'd like to sort of you know, open, open that door or turn that light bulb on for people that are listening to start them off on the right path? So I'd, I'd like to say that the greatest obstacle to having a healthy body size or losing weight or, or you know, having healthy eating habits, your greatest, greatest obstacle lies between your ears. It's your thinking. And so many of us have searched for the perfect diet, the perfect exercise regime, where it's, you know what? Knowledge has never been the problem. It's 2018. There is no magic diet out there. The real issue has been the way that we have thought about food, the way that we've thought about ourselves. And really examining your thinking will help you on this path. I always say that my thoughts are the projector and the screen is my life. And the way that I think the way that I feel about myself always shows up in all of my circumstances, in all of my situations. And let me tell you, when I was that you know, 29-year-old struggling with weight and all that self-hatred, that was reflected back to me in every single situation. And it's so interesting. Today, my life is filled, absolutely filled with blessings and miracles and beautiful people like yourself come into my life and are supporting me and spreading my message. Why? Because of what I'm vibrating. And at the core, we are all love. And if you can tap into that place, that perfect place of peace, and look for that same perfect place of peace in other people, life really starts to unfold. Oh, amen, sister. Yeah, I wrote a little ebook years ago called Change Your Vibration and Change Your Life. And it really does start with what's between the ears and then everything we do unfolds from there. And it is like, this isn't like for those of you listening, like, oh yeah, cool. Well, like they did it. So, you know, they make it sound so easy. No, this is a daily (laughs) practice. This is, we have an ego mind. I'm, you know, for those of you that have listening for a while, you know, I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. We have this ego mind that is, it's the monkey mind. It's always coming in there. So this is a daily practice. It's an exercise that you commit to, to really change what's going on between your ears. And some days you do it well, like some days I do it really well. And some days I totally suck at it, you know, like, and I get on the phone with my coach or with a friend and they remind me and it's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. But so, you know, this isn't about being perfect, but I, I absolutely love that you ended with that. And 
that it really is about what's going on between your ears. I love that. Sandra, thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. I think it is so, so, so important. And thank you for being on the show and sharing your love and energy with us. Thank you. My pleasure. I'd love to come back anytime. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising, everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 